Good morning. It's good to see all of you, and I'm excited to start our Advent season here at Cicero Christian Church. Some of you have been singing Christmas songs, and you put your lights up a month ago, and, you know, good for you. Knock yourselves out, but uh, we're starting Advent season today uh, here at the church, and Advent really is just about anticipation of the arrival of Jesus onto the scene. It's about Jesus showing up into human history and our anticipation of that. And the reason why this is important, it seems weird to look forward to something that already happened, right? That, that's kind of weird. We're looking forward to the birth of Jesus, but the birth of Jesus happened a long time ago. But what it trains us to do is to look forward to the promises of God being fulfilled. That, that's what Advent does. It, it trains us, it reminds us to look forward to the promises of God being fulfilled. Jesus had been promised long before he was born, hundreds of years before he was born. And, and the people of, of God, the Israelites, were supposed to be looking forward to the one who was going to come and make everything right again, the one who was gonna reestablish the kingdom of God on earth. But many of them stopped. They, they, they stopped looking forward to that. They, 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 they weren't anticipating God actually fulfilling the promise that he made. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, a lot of Israelites missed it. They just missed it. They either weren't looking at all or they were looking for the wrong thing. And so what Advent does for us is it, it reminds us that we're a part of this promise that God, uh, all of his promises have not yet been fulfilled. He, he is going to come back. He's gonna restore all things. We know that the world that we live in is not fully restored, right? We, you can look around and you can see that in the mirror. You can see it in the news. You can see it across the world that this, there's still a lot of evil, happening in the world right now. So God, God's promise hasn't been fulfilled that new creation is coming and, and everything will be made new. Are, are you looking for that? Are you leaning in? We're supposed to be leaning in and like expecting and waiting for God to fulfill that promise. And Advent teaches us to do that. It reminds us God always fulfills his promise. The promise that the Messiah was gonna come, he fulfilled that in Jesus. And he's going to fulfill the promise that Jesus is gonna return and make all things new. And so we're, we're learning. We're, we're learning how to lean in and anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises through the Advent season. So today, we're starting with this series that we're calling The Power of Small. And we're gonna be in John chapter one today. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open that up or the words will be on the screen for you later. And uh, what I wanna ask you is, how do you know when somebody loves you? How do you know when somebody loves you? That's a good question. I mean, you could, if I asked you who loves you, you could give me a list of people. But if I said, how do you know? How do you know they love you? If, if, if all they ever did was say words, like if they just said, I love you, if, if your answer was, well, they told me they love me, would that be enough? Is that enough for you to know for sure? Is that enough proof for somebody to just to say, I love you? And, and you're supposed to take that at face value and, and that's proof of their love? Or does it, does it require more than that for you to know for sure that someone loves you? Most of us would say yes. Most of us would say it, it takes more than just the words. I like the words. The words are important. We should say the words. But it takes more than just those three small words, I love you, to really convince me. So <clears throat> the best way to find out how people feel and think about realities of life is to Google it. So I Googled... <laughs> How, how do people know that they're loved? And just some of the answers were, were just really revealing and, and uh, not all that surprising. Uh, the, a feeling of safety. You know, if you feel safe with someone, you know they love you. Someone who really listens to you, like actively listens and not just presses pause on their own talking 
until they get to talk again. Active listening is a sign of love. Uh, letting you be yourself without trying to change you. A lot of people would say, that's how I feel loved. It's when somebody just lets me be me and they don't, they don't try to change me. Um, but also, people would say, somebody who wants what's best for me is how I know I'm loved. And those, those two things actually uh, contradict each other sometimes, like letting you be you without trying to change you, but also wanting what's best for you. Sometimes what's best for you is you need to change. <laughs> you, need to, you need to become a little different of a person. Um, good communication is a sign of love. Empathy, high mutual trust and respect, um, including you in, in conversations about the future and about friends, the people that are important to your life. All of these are ways that, that people um, feel loved. When we say, hey, you know, prove to me that you love me, it's, it's about like, like valuing me as a person, letting me be myself, and, and giving me the freedom to, to kind of be and, and do, feel how I want to feel and, and do. So if God wanted to prove his love to us, how would he do it? Well, according to the rules of, 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 of the modern world and, and what human beings want right now, according to those rules, God, if he wanted to prove our love, what he would, what he would do is he would, he would take us to a coffee shop and sit us down and say, just, just tell, me about, tell me about your thoughts. Tell me about your, your dreams. Your, what are you feeling? And then he would affirm and support everything that, that we think and everything that we feel and all of our plans. He, he, would, he would be like, yeah, that's, that's great. If that's what you want to do, if that's what makes you happy, go for it. That's, that's how we would want God to prove his love for us. A lot of people in the world today would, would say, yeah, that's the kind of God I want. I want the kind of God who, who just says, yeah, you, you be you, you know, live, live your story, live your truth, do, do what makes you happy. And I'm just here to support you. I'm, I'm just here to kind of cheer you on as you go and live whatever life you've decided is what's best for you. That, that's, that's how a lot of people, that's the kind of God a lot of people think they want. But when God decided to prove his love for us, is that what he did? No. In fact, in fact, what God did was kind of, kind of the opposite of God, that. God said, I already know everything about you, but you need to know me. Here, here's, here's how I'm gonna show my love to you. I'm, I want you to know me because the best thing for you is for you to know me. And that's what we find in the Christmas story. So we're gonna look at John's version of the Christmas story. And John's version is really kind of one verse, John 1, 14. This is kind of all John gives. He doesn't go into the shepherds and the wise men and, and Mary and Joseph and all that stuff. He kind of gives us one verse that he sums it all up in John 1, 14. So we're just gonna dive real deep. We're gonna look at some small words that are really powerful and carry a lot of meaning in this verse. So let's look at John uh, 1, 14 uh, together. John writes this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. For a lot of people, this is one of the most powerful and significant verses in all of the Bible because so much Theology and, and doctrine and, and relationship and connection is defined and identified in this, this one verse. What is John trying to communicate to us here? So here's what I, I wanna do. We're gonna break this down. We're gonna look at just a few words out of this verse and really try to understand what it is John wants to communicate uh, to his readers uh, by these words, by him, him kind of summing up. And we're like, you know what, well, we, we like you know, Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. Why did he leave all of that out and he just gave us this? Well, let's explore that, okay? Let's, let's discover that. Uh, by the way, over the next few weeks, Mary and Joseph are coming, the shepherds are gonna be here, the wise men and everything. We're gonna get to all that, um, but this is where we're starting. 
So the first word that, that I want us to look at is the word, word. John says, the word became flesh. What, what is the word? Well, he explains that in the first few verses of his uh, gospel. So here's what John says in, in verses one through four. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So when John opens up this gospel, he begins to talk about the word as a, a part of God, this, this sort of the self-expression of God, uh, the, the, the power through which God created everything and the representation of God. This is how, this is how we represent ourselves. If, if, if I'm meeting you for the first time, I, I would introduce myself with words and I would say, well, my name is Adam and um, my boss is Sarah, and like, the, and I would just give you like all of these things that about me. That's those are my words. My words tell you who I am, and and this is what John is saying. The word of God is is how we know who He is. So when he gets to verse fourteen and he says the word became flesh, he's saying this this word is God telling us who He is, and we know who John was talking about, right? We have a name. For the word, we call him Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. He is the one who, who reveals the full nature and character of God to human beings. And Jesus is the subject of um, this verse. The word became flesh. So let's, let's look at the next word. The next word is became. Jesus became, the word became flesh. So became implies that, that he this, he wasn't this before, and now he is this. So he, he wasn't flesh before this. Like Jesus existed in a different form. He wasn't, he wasn't flesh before he became a baby in Bethlehem, before he, he came into the world. It implies intention, that God did this on purpose. Like he, he, he wanted this to happen. It wasn't done to him. It was something he chose to do. He became, and he, he became flesh this is, a, this is a quite a leap for the creator of the universe, right? For, for the creator of the universe, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, he's present everywhere, he sees all, knows all, he created all, for him to become anything other than that is a step down, right? It has to be. It has to be a step down for him to become anything other than all-present, all-powerful, and so when he becomes flesh, he's, he's intentionally taking sort of a, a step down in, in his power and his authority and his scope. I mean, as flesh, he, he can't actually be everywhere at once, right? Jesus is, is kind of confined then to this physical body, right? So there, there's a limitation there that, that no one can put a limitation on God, but he chooses to put this limitation on himself. He chooses that. He became flesh, why would he, become, like when we think about if, if we had the choice to, to be what God is or to be what we are, <laughs> that seems like a pretty easy choice. I'd rather be what God is. I'd, I'd rather be sort of above all of this and, and not have to deal with getting sick and not have to deal with watching what I eat and not have to deal with like not, not knowing what's going on all the time. Like we're so confused all the time about what's really happening in the world. He never has that. I would choose that. And yet he, in this moment, chooses to be like us. This is, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. Really, there's, there's, no other, there's no other religious story that goes like this. 
There's just not one. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a choice that doesn't make sense to human beings. We can't look at this and go, I would never give up. If I had the power of God, I would never give it up to become a human being. This is exactly, exactly what he did. What God does in this moment is he moves away from comfort in a way that communicates value. You, you've seen this happen. You've seen people move away from comfort in a way that communicates value. If you've ever been on a, a bus or, or like a subway train and uh, you, you've, got your, you've got your comfortable seat by the door so you can get out when you need to get out and, uh, and it's full and someone comes on. Maybe it's an elderly gentleman with a walker. Maybe it's a, a pregnant woman or at least you think she's pregnant. You never actually know. Um, so don't, don't say anything, but you think she might be pregnant. And so you, you kind of look at the, and you, and you stand up and you say, I would like for you to take my seat. I will give up my comfort for you. I would, I would rather you sit down. That is moving away from comfort in a way that communicates value to another human being, right? So, so this is sort of what God does, but on a much grander scale, he's, he's giving up the comfort of being all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, everywhere at once, and he's confining himself to a human body for a time, Give, moving away from comfort in a way that says, you're so important to me. I, I am so interested in being close to you. I'll walk away from all of this to be close, to be near, so that you can see me for who I really am. So the word became flesh, and then uh, the next section is he made his dwelling among us. He, 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 moved, he, came, he came among us. He, did, he didn't just come and, and, be, and stay above us. A lot of the, a lot of the mythologies of, of, of other belief systems have sort of this like these deities that come to earth for a while, but they're really still above. They're, they're still above the humans. They, they kind of live. It's like, um, you guys remember Gilligan's Island? Okay, this crowd, you guys are gonna remember. Gilligan's Island, there are a couple characters that sort of live above everyone. You remember them, the, the rich couple, the Howells, I think it was Thurston Howell III or something like that. I can't, I don't, I don't remember. But um, in, in my memory, I haven't seen this show in probably 20 years, so at least. Um, but this, everyone else is sort of just scratching out a living on this island. They're living in these, these huts that they built with their bare hands and they've, they're, they're drinking coconut milk and that's what they have. But the Howells are sort of like over here with shrimp and champagne like all the time. And you're like, where do they get this stuff? How do they always have this? But they sort of live above everyone else because they have the means to, right? When Jesus comes to earth, he has the means to live above human beings, right? He could live above. He could, he could live in a palace, uh, he could have his every need attended to by other people, by servants. They'd just bring him food and do whatever. Like that, that was a choice he could have made. He could have lived above, but he chose to live among. Jesus was born to a poor family. He was, he was always poor. In fact, he, he said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. During his ministry, he was homeless. He chose to be among, to, to be among the least of us, to be among the poor. And uh, he made his dwelling here. Like he didn't just stop in to visit, but, but he moved in. He didn't, he didn't show up in an, in an RV and, and just plug into your garage so he could leave whenever he wanted to. He, he, he built a house. The, the phrase that John uses for um, made his dwelling uh, is, is very intentional, I think. It's, it's the same phrase that... that uh, in, in Greek would, would mean uh, the tabernacle. Do you remember the tabernacle from the Old Testament um, where God would actually show up? It became the temple eventually when it was a permanent space, but it was a, it was a tent. It was just a big tent where God would, he would show up and that's where he would be. 
And that's how God lived among the people, is he pitched his tent among the people. And this is exactly what John is saying when he says that Jesus, the word became flesh and he, he, he built a tabernacle right here among us so he could live and be among us. Not just above us, not just beside us, but among us. This is a significant move away from his own self-interest in a way that communicates value to us and reveals something about the nature of God. So uh, he, he made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father. Well, let's talk about glory for a minute because I think this is something we don't really get a clear picture of. We don't, we don't talk about glory a lot in our culture unless you're talking about like fame and glory of an athlete or something. Uh, we just don't use that word. It's kind of a, a, a word that's reserved for, for church stuff. So what, what does glory mean? Glory is the visible presence of God among humans. If you track this back to uh, Exodus, when God tells Moses to build the tabernacle, and he says, this is the place where I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna be among the people. The, the, when, when Moses builds the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord shows up. Let me just read this for you from Exodus chapter 40. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The visible presence of God among people was unapproachable. Moses, the guy who was closest to God of all the other people on the planet, could not enter into the glory of God. And so what does God do? He becomes flesh he makes his dwelling among us so that we can approach his glory. We can approach the visible presence of God among human beings. Guys, I'm just trying to give, it, I'm just trying to give us a scope of what Jesus is doing here because it's, it should be shocking, it should be humbling, and it should cause us to lean in and go, why? Why, why would he do this? Why would he do it this way? There are so many other ways God could have chosen to bring about our redemption but this is the move he makes. The word becomes flesh, makes his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, and he comes from the Father full of grace and truth. These are two small words that I think are really powerful. And in fact, John is sort of setting up a theme, a couple of themes that he carries on through the rest of his gospel. Grace and truth show up on almost every page, and, and mostly in one-on-one -on -one encounters. When Jesus interacts with Nicodemus in John chapter three, he does so with grace and truth. When he interacts with the woman at the well in John four, he does so with grace and truth. When he interacts with the woman who's caught in adultery in John chapter eight, he does so with grace and truth. This is Jesus as the word of God, the expression of God, God saying, I want to show you who I am and what I'm like. And he does so in grace and truth. This is who God is. He is a God of grace and truth. Because I think, I think the Israelites kind of got the wrong idea from the Mosaic covenant when God gives them the 10 commandments and God expresses himself then in words written on a tablet. And in their mind, this is who God is. God is the law. God, God is this set of instructions about how we're supposed to live. That's, that's God's identifying characteristic. That's not what God was trying to communicate. He, he wasn't trying to tell them that he was the law. He was trying to call them to holy living and show them what that looked like. But, but they sort of got the wrong idea about the law. And so Jesus comes to sort of set the record straight. And so no, God is not the law. When God wants to really reveal himself, it's not gonna be on instructions inscribed on stone. It's gonna be on a flesh and blood human being who is here to say, I love you, I'm for you, 
I have truth for you. Truth is a, is a huge theme throughout the Gospel of John. I mean, it, it just shows up over and over and over again. Jesus identifies himself in John 14 as the way, the truth, and the life. He calls himself, the, I am the truth. That's what he says. In John chapter eight, there's a lot of talk about truth. First, there's some talk about lies. And, and Jesus calls uh, Satan, the enemy of God, the father of lies. He says when he, when he lies, he's speaking his native language. Like that's, that's just who he is. And Jesus came because the lies of Satan have penetrated every corner of the human world and it leads to sin, it leads to pride and selfishness. We see it all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, the lies of the enemy that lead to sin. And Jesus has come to bring the opposite of the lie. He's come to bring the truth. And he tells people, the truth will set you free. And he promises his disciples before he goes away in John 16, actually 14, 15, and 16, he says something along the lines of, I'm going to send the spirit of truth. And he's gonna guide you in all things. So you're not gonna have to worry about what to say. He tells Pilate that he came to testify to the truth. And all this matters because the enemy of God is a master of lies. And so in, in order to push back the work of the enemy of God, Jesus leads with truth. So what, what do we learn about how God connects with us from John 1.14? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does this teach us about the nature and character of God? Because this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to show us who God is, to deal with sin once and for all, and show us how to live in relationship with a holy God. So how does this happen through this? I just want to start with a couple of facts or truths about God that I think we learn here. And I and I hope this will spur us to connect with God in a more honest and clear way. So first of all, love voluntarily proves itself. God did not have to prove his love to us. That was not on him. I mean, he's, he's God. All he has to do is say the words. He could say the words, and it would be our job then to take those words at face value and say, okay, God says it, I believe it. That settles it, right? But instead, he chooses to prove his love. And this is, this is, Act one in God proving his love for us is Jesus, the word, becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. Communicates value. He moved away from comfort, right? That's, and that's the next thing. He, love abandons comfort and moves toward others. This is what God demonstrates for us. Love abandons comfort, walks away from comfort on purpose, intentionally, and moves towards those that he loves. See, see God longs to be in relationship with human beings, and I think we get this sense sometimes uh, that God is, is, is sort of in his place in heaven and he's sort of demanding that we move towards him, right? And there is a sense in which God has called us to holy living. And, and that's part of what it means to, to be a, a child of God and be a follower of Jesus. But in, in the beginning, God moved toward us. He wasn't demanding that we move toward him. He moved toward us first. He, he made the first move. And he, he abandoned comfort in order to do that. And this communicates value to us. So how do we respond to that then? If, if, if you wanted to prove your love for God, how would you do that? Are the words enough? Is it enough for you to just, for you to say in a song once a week on a Sunday, I love you, Lord? Is that enough? Or, or do, you, do you need to demonstrate your love for God in some way. 
So if, if we are gonna learn from God how to, how to prove our love, then, then we need to move toward God by choosing discomfort, choosing to be uncomfortable at times, to move toward God. This, this is the willingness to say, all right, it's Sunday morning, I have some options. I could, could sleep in, um, I could have a late breakfast, um, we could go somewhere for the day, we, like, we got a lot of options here, but, but I'm, I'm choosing to get dressed, get the kids dressed, and, and get everybody uh, to the worship gathering. I'm, this is not the most comfortable thing you could be doing right now, but this is what you chose to do. This is a demonstration of your love for God, just the fact that you're here. It's a pretty small, it's a pretty small demonstration. I mean, it's, it's not that uncomfortable. I mean, with this, the pews are padded and the temperature is quite nice today, so it's not that bad, but there are other things you could be doing, right? So this is just an example of how we demonstrate our love for God by moving away from our own comfort in order to communicate how valuable he is uh, to us in our lives. The, and the second part of that is, is sacrifice. It, sacrifice is like the next step beyond discomfort. Okay, I'm willing to be uncomfortable, but am I willing to sacrifice? Am I really willing to give up something that, that really matters to me in order to demonstrate my love to God? I, I, I think sometimes we look at, at the teachings of Jesus when uh, Jesus says things like, like we've, we talked about in the last series uh, about um, generosity. We, we look at the teachings of Jesus on generosity where he just kind of says, just, just give, give freely. And we go, that's, that's a little extreme. You know, I, I think it's fine for me to, to accumulate and have more than I need and hold on to all of that. And maybe I can pass it down to my kids. And I, it's, it's fine. But Jesus says, give it away. But I think it's fine to keep it. I came across this uh, quote from somebody I'm sure you, you all read uh, on a weekly basis, uh, Lecrae, uh, who is a hip-hop Christian artist. He's fantastic, by the way. Here, here's what he says. He says, Jesus' teachings will be too much for you until he becomes your savior. Like, you're gonna look at the teachings of Jesus and, and say, that, that's, no thanks. That doesn't really make sense. I'd, I'd rather not. That's extreme, Jesus. That's, that's too much. But once he becomes your savior, once you understand Jesus as Lord and savior, then his teachings, you're, you're just kind of like, okay, whatever you say, I'm on board because you saved me. So whatever you say, I'll do because you saved me. But it, until then, we look at the teachings of Jesus and we go, that's, I don't know, that's too much sacrifice. That's too extreme. I mean, can I just, can I just show up at church from time to time and uh, just kind of hope that I go to heaven when I die? Like, can we just leave it at that? That's, that's, not, that's not the teachings of Jesus at all. To move toward God in the way that he moved toward us is to move away from our own comfort, to step into sacrifice, to demonstrate our love for us, our love for him. And so uh, I, I just wanna tag this right on the end here is, is I think we also learn from God how to demonstrate our love to other people. You know, we talked in the beginning about how what people really want is someone just to affirm all their own thoughts and feelings and hopes and plans and dreams, right? They, they want people, that, that's, that's what kids think they want from their parents. That's what friends think they want from their friends. That's what parents think they want from their kids is this affirmation. But, but sometimes that's not really what's best. So how do, we, how do we demonstrate love in a way that's really what's best for the people around us? I think we move toward, we move toward 
the people around us. Sometimes stepping into discomfort. You guys know we have um, a, a dear friend here of the church, um, Dave Gillum, who's, who's in the hospital. He's not doing well. He's been in the hospital for several weeks now. And to go and visit him in the ICU is, uh, is a process. It, it's, it's, it's a bit of a pain. So there's, there's a lot of steps you have to follow. There's a lot of gear you have to put on uh, and protocols, and then you have to take it all off. And, and it, it's, it's quite a process. It, it's uncomfortable. And um, I, I do that. This is kind of what I do. I, I visit people in the hospital, so I'm, I'm not like really put out by it. But... Um, a friend of Dave's, who, who's a part of the church family here, has been to see Dave multiple times. And he's not, he's not a hospital guy. He's not comfortable in hospitals. This is not his thing. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't really, um, he's not really familiar with all the protocols. But he, he goes through this process every single time he goes to, to go and, and just stand in the room with a man who's unconscious and can't, has no idea. We don't know if he, he even knows that, that, that his friend is there. But he does it several times a week. He moves away from his own comfort in a way that communicates value to his friend. I just think that's a good example. It may seem like a small example, but, but this is what we're talking about. Are you willing to step away from your own comfort? And it's not just the time that he gives up, but it's, it's going through that whole process. And, and I think we also need to be able to sacrifice for other people. So, so moving away from comfort and sacrificing is not about affirming that everything someone thinks and feels and, and wants to do is, is true and good and right, okay? It's about showing them that they matter, that we love them through our actions. And, and sometimes we, when we sacrifice, that communicates value to people. It shows them that they matter, not just to us, but to God as well. And so uh, we, we came across a, a need this week. There was a family that, that just we, we became aware of that didn't have any food for, for Thanksgiving and it was kind of late. It was on Wednesday, so we couldn't send them to Angel's Attic. And, um, and so we just made a, a phone call uh, to somebody that we knew as a generous person. And, and this lady went out and bought, so we were, we were hoping for like a turkey, right? Like, let's just take them a turkey. She, she bought what looked like a week's worth of groceries. And she said, this is what they're gonna have for Thanksgiving dinner. And, uh, and just dropped it off here at the church. We were able to, uh, to load it all up and, and give it to this. And so I had this this grown man crying on my shoulder out here in the parking lot because um, this generous person went to the grocery store on the day before Thanksgiving. Who wants to do that? Anybody sign up for that? Sounds terrible, right? Spent her own money, bought all the trimmings, stuff I wouldn't even thought of to buy, and, and just gave it to this family. Now, whether, whether that was an easy thing for her to do financially or not, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't matter. She made a sacrifice in a way that communicated value to another human being. I just think that's, that's right in line with what God did when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's right in line with the way that God communicated his love and value to us. So, so here's, here's the challenge for this week. Here's what I wanna invite you to do along with me is, is ask, ask some questions. Where am I moving away from comfort and where am I making sacrifices to show God how much I love him? Have, have I lived my life in a way that has sort of demanded that God move toward me? Like, God, here, here's my plans. Here's what I wanna do. Here's what I think is good and right. And, and I, would you just bless this? Would you bless my life, bless my plans, bless my desires? Or are we willing to walk, move away from all of that and say, God, whatever you want, 
whatever you think is right, that's the direction I wanna go, even if it involves me being uncomfortable or making a sacrifice. So just ask that question. Where am I moving away from comfort and stepping into sacrifice to demonstrate my love for God? And then, where am I moving away from comfort and stepping into sacrifice to demonstrate my love for someone else? There are people in your life that you sacrifice for all the time. And it's probably because maybe it's your responsibility. If it's your children or your spouse or whatever, it's sort of a responsibility that you have and it's expected. But where do you have an opportunity to move away from comfort and step into sacrifice for someone who's not gonna see it coming? Who's gonna be surprised? Who's gonna ask, why are you doing this for me? Like, where are you doing that? Where is that showing up in your life? Because... All the people that you might come in contact with are people who are loved by God. They're people who are the reason why the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. They're people for whom Jesus died. There are people that God wants to communicate his love to. And maybe, 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 he's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, would you show my love to this person through your actions? So let's, let's ask those questions together as, as we close. Would you stand, we're just close with a word of prayer. I want to invite you to pray through those, um, those questions with me. And if the Holy Spirit prompts you and puts something on your heart in a way that you need to uh, move away from comfort and sacrifice to show love to God or to another human being, um, just, just be obedient to whatever the Spirit calls you to do. That's, that's, that's 99% of the Christian life is just obeying the Holy Spirit right there. When we, when we get that right, uh, we're going to be in good shape. So uh, invite the Holy Spirit to convict you and then obey whatever he tells you to do. Let's, let's close with prayer. Father, thank you so much for becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Thank you for, for bringing your glory uh, to an approachable place for us. Thank you, Father, for coming to demonstrate your grace and truth to us. And I, I just pray that we're, we're overwhelmed again by all of that. And Father, we want, we want to show our love for you in return. You have proven your love to us. So we, we want to demonstrate our love for you as well. And so, God, would you put it on our hearts? How, how can we do that this week? What are, what are some ways, Father, that we can step away from our own comfort and into sacrifice and show our love for you? And, and God, we know that you love the people around us just as much as you do us. How can we be a part of you showing your love to others through our own sacrifice and discomfort? Would you... Would you show us how we can do that? And help us just to be obedient to your spirit when these opportunities arise. Because we believe, Father, that you're drawing people to you all the time with your love. And, and we're excited to be a part of that. Would you use us? In Jesus' name, amen.